0: You know, quite often we hear people make comments regarding the beautiful people. In fact, magazines such as People Magazine and Time and others often put out lists of the 50 most beautiful people in the world or the 100 most beautiful people in the world. I personally have always questioned the validity of those lists because I've never been included in one of them. But that being said, people are often referring to wealthy people, prominent people, those especially prominent in international society, and they talk about them as being the beautiful people. Wealthy and famous people whose... Lifestyle is usually expensive, extravagant, and well-publicized. The designation is one that has to do with certain affluent people, sometimes certain knowledgeable people, people that are often highly placed in government and society, successful, articulate, attractive, intelligent men and women. The name of Dr. Joyce Brothers is probably familiar to most of us. She was a very popular American psychologist, television personality, and columnist. She wrote a daily newspaper column from 1960 to her death in 2013. In her book that she wrote, Better Than Ever, Dr. Brothers shows that we, You and me, people, are prejudiced toward attractive people. That we consistently judge beautiful people to be more sensitive, more kind, more intelligent, more interesting and sociable and exciting than their less attractive counterparts are. She explained that in a study that she conducted in a school, there was a study among kindergartners and teachers in this school, and she was doing a study regarding the people to whom they were the most attractive. Guess what? The children picked their most, the most attractive of their classmates to be their favorites. And the teachers did the same thing. And the teachers considered the less attractive children more likely to be troublemakers. I read that and thought about my school days and said, well, that explains a lot. But she continues, when we grow up, for both men and women, higher salary levels and greater advancement and a high higher position in the company, all of those things have a high correlation to how an individual looks. No matter how far we think we might have come as individuals, no matter how much we might think we have grown in maturity as a society, all of us have a tendency to judge others based on their appearances. And so that naturally brings a question to our minds, does it not? What is true beauty? In the sight of the God of heaven, who are the beautiful people? It's in that connection that I remember a statement from the pen of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. He wrote of God, who has made everything beautiful in its time, of God who has set eternity in their heart. At least in its origin and in its design, God has made everything beautiful. But you know something else? If you turn through the Bible, the Bible also mentions the beautiful people, and it does it often. Sarah, for example, heard her husband Abraham's appraisal of her. Behold now, he said, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. That's in Genesis chapter 12, and verse 11. In Genesis 29 and verse 17, we read of Rachel, Jacob's favorite. Rachel was beautiful. And she was well-favored. Talking about Joseph, Jacob's favorite son. Genesis 39 and verse 6 says that Joseph was comely and well-favored. But Moses, when he was born, it said the woman conceived and bore a son, and she saw he was a goodly child, and she hid him three months. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 2. Of David, it's said in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 12. Now he was ready. And with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look upon. Bathsheba, the woman that David sinned with, was described this way in 2 Samuel 11 and verse 2. It says the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Of Esther we read in Esther chapter 2 and verse 7. that he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. For she had neither father nor mother. And the maiden was fair and beautiful. And when her father and mother were dead, Mordecai took her for his own daughter. But well, here's something we need to understand. The word of God is far more concerned with spiritual beauty than with physical attractiveness. And we find this in passage after passage after passage of Scripture. As an example, we might read David's statement. It's in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due to His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Now listen to it. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now I find that expression very appealing. The beauty of holiness. I think we would do well to give that expression time and thought. In the 27th Psalm, David added, added, One thing have I asked of Jehovah, That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of Jehovah all the days of my life. Here it is. To behold the beauty of Jehovah and to inquire in his temple. The 90th Psalm is one that is generally attributed to Moses. And there are these words. And let the beauty of the Lord thy God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Psalm 90 verse 17. That inner beauty. That inner beauty that God wants you and God wants me to have. That spiritual beauty is referred to in Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day." There are many passages of Scripture that refer to the inner beauty of God, God's people that God appreciates. There are numbers of people whose lives possess the inner beauty, that spiritual beauty, that God desires, that God wants us to have. Enoch was a man that lived almost at the dawn of history. And we talked about him a few weeks ago. The Genesis account tells us his age. It tells us he had many sons and daughters. And in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24, the Bible says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What does that suggest? A beautiful, intimate relationship that Enoch had with the God of heaven. A man named Enoch. A man that lived so close to God. A man that so closely lived God's life the way God wanted him to live it that he's described as one who walked with God and one who was miraculously taken by the Lord. Then there was Joseph. Remember, we mentioned Joseph just a few minutes ago. And we said Joseph was goodly to look upon. He was comely and well-favored. And you know, as a man, just as a man, Joseph must have been outstandingly handsome. He must have been outstanding in his beauty physically as a man. Because after all, Potiphar's wife tried everything in her toolbox to seduce Joseph. But Joseph was not just beautiful in his person. Joseph was beautiful in his countenance. And Joseph was beautiful in his devotion to God. And Joseph was beautiful in his dedication to God because Joseph refused every advance of that woman. To the point that he was even put in the prison because of his refusal and because of her false accusations. And then there's that beautiful gleaner we read about in the Old Testament. That precious woman by the name of Ruth. The kind of woman who draws the world to her. The kind of woman who draws the world after her. And she does it by the lasting qualities of her unselfish devotion. She does it by her lowly serviceableness and by her modesty. Ruth is one of those characters that humanity delights in remembering. Men enjoy reading the story of Ruth because it touches them with the mystery and the charm of earthly romantic love. Women delight in reading the story of Ruth because in Ruth you recognize the best and the loveliest example of womanhood to be found in the Scriptures. But there are also examples of beauty that you can find outside the Scriptures. One of those is Martin Luther. Luther was called upon after he had nailed his objections to the Roman Catholic Church to the door. Luther was called upon to renounce his convictions before the Diet of Worms. If you read the story, Luther's very life seemed to depend upon his renunciation of his own writings. But here's what Luther said. It is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Many a lesser man than Martin Luther would have bowed to the pressures around him. But there's a rugged beauty about a person who stands for his own convictions at any cost no matter what that cost is. Another example, another example of that same kind of deep personal conviction is found in the life of a man by the name of Hugh Latimer. Latimer was a reformer of 16th century England. And Latimer on one occasion preached a sermon that offended the king of England. Imagine that, a preacher offending the king. Hugh Latimer offended King Henry VII by his plain speaking in a sermon. So offensive was the sermon that the king ordered him to preach again the following Sunday. And the king said, you will make apology for the offense you've given me. The next Sunday, Hugh Latimer stood up to preach as he'd been told. And after he, began, after he read his text, Hugh Latimer began his sermon as if he was addressing his own soul. Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom it is thou dost speak this morning to the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty. He who can take away thy life as thou offendest. Therefore, Hugh Latimer, take heed, that thou speakest not a word that might displease the king. But then consider well, Hugh Latimer, dost thou know from whence thou comest? Dost thou know upon whose message thou art sent? Hugh Latimer, thou art sent by the great and mighty God who is present. The great and mighty God who behold us all thy ways, and the great and mighty God who is able to cast thy soul into hell. And you know what Hugh Latimer did then? He repeated the same sermon he had preached the week before. Word for word, without any alteration. The one that had offended Henry VII. He did that sermon even though he knew the king had already found it to be offensive. At the conclusion... King Henry VII rose up from his seat and embraced you, Latimer and said, Blessed be God, I have so honest a servant. Certainly that was a courageous act on the part of Latimer. It indicates something for us, an inner strength of character and conviction that God would say, is beautiful. Our deepest concern is for the transformation of sinful men and women, people like me and you, into spiritually beautiful people. The great tragedy of our world in the 21st century, the great tragedy of our world in every age, is that after a perfect creation, with all of its beauty and all of its majesty and all of its glory, sin came into this idyllic scene bringing ugliness and tragedy. Our greatest concern is that we be transformed again to the purity and the beauty and the glory of God's original creation. All of us have probably read at some point of the alchemists of the dark ages that tried to take baser metals and transform them into gold. They performed countless experiments and many of those experiments are somewhat ludicrous to even contemplate. They were trying to change some relatively common and inexpensive metal into valuable gold and in every case they failed because that kind of a transformation is not possible but it is possible for a much more significant transformation to take place the transformation of a sinful man or a sinful woman into the person that God would have them to be and that my friends is the essence of why Jesus Christ came to this earth that's why Jesus Christ came and lived his sinless life as an example for us. That's why Jesus left his teachings for all men and women of all time to appropriate. The redemption and the reformation and the transformation of the hearts of men and women. That's the story of the Bible. And the method that that takes place is set forth in the Scriptures. It was Solomon who wrote in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. By determining what goes into a man's mind or heart, it can be determined what he'll believe and ultimately what he will be. And that same emphasis is found in the New Testament book of Philippians. Listen to the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think. On these things, those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. If our hearts and our minds can be centered on the positive, uplifting things of life, there's going to be a transformation of life take place. If we would be beautiful people. If we would make our lives beautiful. It's not a new wardrobe. It's not a new hairdo. It's following Jesus. He'll lead us to perfection. And he'll never lead us astray. What did the song say? Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. The beauty of the life of Jesus is assurance for me and for you that if we follow in the steps of Jesus to the very best of our ability, our lives are going to be beautiful too. The Lord's invitation is an invitation for all men and women of all time. So if we would make our lives beautiful, within and without, we've got to follow Jesus. We've got to follow His teachings. When we respond to Jesus in simple trusting faith, repenting of our sins, confessing His name, and putting Him on in baptism, Paul says we're raised to live a new kind of life. And it's then that we live by a different standard. Happiness. Peace and beauty, along with faith and hope and love, all of those are qualities that the new Christian life displays. Let's be standing together this morning, if you would. And here's the question before the house. Are you one of the beautiful people this morning? Is the beauty of Jesus seen in your heart and your life by others that come in contact with you? Or are there changes that need to be made? If you need to make changes, now is the time to do it as we sing this song.